0: Hey everyone, I'm Fiona Lee and welcome to Insight Intercom. For businesses to grow, you need your teams to be executing together and firing on all cylinders at the same time. But one partnership that tends to be fraught with misalignment is the one between sales and marketing. It's a deeply intertwined relationship. Sales relies on marketing to drive leads and marketing depends on sales to convert the leads they bring in. And when revenue targets slip, it's easy for the finger pointing to start and the fireworks to fly. So is there a better way for marketing and sales to reach alignment? We brought in Intercom's Demand Gen Director, Brian Cotlier, and our Senior Sales Operations Director, Jeff Serlin, to have a candid discussion on this topic. And let me tell you, they did not hold back. They talked about whether sales should care about how marketing is getting leads.
1: I suppose if I was good enough at my job, it's possible you wouldn't have to care. However, I don't think I'm that good. I don't think any marketer is that good. And I think the truth is that for me to be effective, you need to care. How
0: sales and marketing can avoid finger pointing by architecting revenue plans together.
2: There has to be a revenue plan, not a sales plan and a marketing plan. Certainly the tactics beneath it. You know, I don't want to sit with you and figure out what your event strategy is, but I want to make sure we're relying on event strategy is going to generate X amount and we're probably going to spend X amount to
1: do this.
0: And they even got into the topic of sales comp plans and whether marketers should have similar incentives.
1: As a leader, regardless of incentive plan, it's your responsibility to set expectations for the team that it doesn't matter that you shipped a new website if we missed our number. It doesn't matter that we did 30 webinars if we missed our number.
0: Jeff and Brian provided a really honest look at what it takes to foster sales and marketing alignment in growing businesses. So let's hop into the studio and listen in. You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom,
1: making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Brian Cotlier. I run demand gen and growth here at Intercom. Joining me for today's conversation on the podcast is Jeff Serlin. Jeff's our head of sales ops here. Uh, We're going to talk today about the role of marketing and sales in driving revenue growth for for companies like ours and companies like yours. Before we get started, Jeff, uh, would you mind giving our listeners a little bit of a rundown about your career and how you got into this chair across from me?
2: Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Good to be here. Um, I think I'll keep it kind of focused on the operations part of it. I am almost embarrassed to say, but I've been doing sales operations for about 15 plus years. When I started, there was no such thing. There was no role. People weren't recruiting for it. It wasn't its own specific position. I was a biz dev person. I actually had a marketing role where I helped build out some early kind of nurturing lead scoring before most of that automation was out. But I was the guy in the back that always said, well, we need to look at our pipeline. How much should we create this month? How are we moving it through? Where are we going to track? I would run around trying to get forecasts from everybody, even though it wasn't my primary position. When we first got, or when I first got Salesforce.com in the early 2000s, no one kind of knew what to do with it. So I sat down and created a couple of basic processes and workflows. I just kind of migrated towards there and it started to become something real. About 10, 11 years ago, somebody asked me who was a head of sales, who knew my background, wanted someone that was very well-rounded to kind of run operations full-time. And I took the plunge. And that's when I started thinking about it as a career as a function, as something strategic, and just developing my skills across all of that. Since that time, I've either set up or run the operations team, sales, a little bit of marketing ops, and even a little bit of finance that time at about four different companies, most of them successful. And I joined here, I think, a little bit after you about a year ago to kind of build it out here as well. Great. Thank you for that. So how about your turn, Brian? How did you get into demand generation, but also marketing operations?
1: Well, I think uh, similar to you, I think these are, as my mother always says, these are jobs that didn't exist when you went to college. How did you end up in this weird job? I can't explain to your friends. Yeah, I did Uh, not major in sales ops. Yeah, exactly. Nor did I major in marketing ops. Basically, I guess my start came because of just it's kind of what companies needed. My training was as an industry analyst, which meant I did a lot of writing and my entry into startups was timed really well for the emergence of inbound and content marketing as, as a thing. And because that became sort of the primary way that businesses were driving demand, it really enabled me to get a really good holistic view of sort of what's the relationship between what we want to sell, what we need to say, and how are we going to generate leads. And so from there, was able to experiment with email, experiment with advertising, work on website optimization. And then, of course, the natural question that follows is, is this stuff making us any money? And that's generally, you know, where marketing operations steps in. And in my case, I was at a small company. There was no marketing operations. And so it was my role to help solve those questions and build out the team that would solve those questions in a scalable way. And that's kind of what I've been doing ever since is devising the programs that will cause activity in the market and then attempting as best we can on the other side to measure what those things are, make promises to the business about the revenue those things will create, and then hold ourselves accountable to those promises.
2: You've mentioned that you led marketing at a number of companies, a few early-stage ones. What advice do you have for startups when they're thinking about initially building out and scaling their sales and marketing functions? Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think, and I I should caveat this by saying that I'm naturally, I think because of some of the experiences I had at at early-stage businesses that maybe scaled a bit too quickly, like I'm naturally a little conservative, and I think others might, might even say this is too conservative advice. But with that said, My general guidance is that I've seen so many companies fail because they scaled sales too quickly. It's very easy for a very enthusiastic founder group at the advice of a bunch of venture capitalists or whatever to say, we've sold 100K worth of stuff. We're ready to scale. Let's go hire salespeople. We need a hotshot director. We need a bunch of AEs. We need 10 SDRs and so on. And in my experience, that could be true, but it rarely is true in that first initial push. I think I just, it's a pattern I see time and again. So I think the first bit of advice I would say is just because you're making some money doesn't mean you're ready to build out a complex, full-bore sales organization. Because kind of to your specialty, it's like if you can't easily answer questions like what's my opportunity to close rate, what kind of pipeline am I expecting for each of these reps and so on, you're probably not ready. On the marketing side, I think on over there, the, the simple kind of thing I would say and piece of advice I would say is there's the kind of a, a thought process going around, I think, a lot of marketers these days, which is the idea that essentially we're all paying Google and Facebook rent. It's like we pay rent to be on a page of search results. We pay rent to show up in people's news feeds. And that's just how it has to be to appear and to be visible and relevant. And to some degree, that's a necessary task to be effective. But for an earlier stage company, it's really easy to burn a lot of your cash really fast on things that you're not really set up to, to do effectively. Do you have a sales team in place to monetize those leads or can your product do it for you and things like that? So the, the other thing I would say is like I believe really strongly that what you need to do is come up with sort of a portfolio of tactics. And they have to range from the very expensive to the very, very cheap and it's only through a balance of those things you pay your rent where you have to and you mooch off the land for free where you don't and the combination of those things is what gives you the right portfolio to help you grow
2: I think that the whole point of doing this is how do you evolve it over time where do you start where do you get to after 12 months where do you get to after you get to that one million to that five million to that 10 and 20 million
1: mm-hmm. so I guess that's a great transition to ask you so you know my comments were a lot about earlier businesses you've done sales operations and operations generally in businesses across the whole spectrum of scale. As companies mature, how do you see the relationship between sales and marketing changing and the relationship between the operations teams changing as as they grow and become more complex? Yeah, good
2: question. I think that, as you mentioned, when you start off, it's first let's validate that people are willing to give us some money for this. And you're probably doing that before you think of the tactics that you mentioned or the basket of tactics probably before you even came up with the strategy of kind of who you want to sell to, what size and what type of, of companies. I think in the early days, it's just kind of go get that number, go acquire customers, go figure out why they're buying and then go get some more of them. I don't know that you need a lot of sales operations or even a big sales team, as you mentioned. I think you just need enough bodies to handle the leads and people that have this overwhelming mindset of, you know, um, um op- optimistic, I guess, is a good word of it's something new, but we see some early people consuming it. So we're going to go sell more. I think that as you start getting to multiple offices or multiple GOs or multiple segments, um, smaller companies, larger companies, or even a sales manager or two is when you need to start thinking about placing operations in place. And I think one of the things that happens when the marketing team starts to get bigger and the sales team starts to get bigger is unfortunately marketing and sales starts to, I think, diverge sit at different places of the building, um, go through different processes of figuring out what they need to do. And I think the role of both of our operations teams is to pull them tighter when it was maybe five or six people sitting all together earlier um, at the time. So as they mature or as a company matures, both of those organizations are going to mature. And I think without that in between that glue or the stitching of what really operations is, what my team does and what yours does to keep them together into one continuous supply chain, that you start to see marketing targeting a segment and sales recruiting to fill sales capacity that has a motion that isn't consistent with that segment. And then bad things happen. You're either spending money on on pipeline that isn't getting converted or sales is converting pipeline that you don't or otherwise would not want to convert and you have those mismatches. So I think the operations needs to get more sophisticated. It needs to get more operationally. I don't know if that's a word, but you need to start documenting things. You need to start aligning your processes. You need to start having more structure and governance and how you do everything. And I think if you just keep structure, governance, alignment, staying on the same page, same KPIs, uh, constant communication that you can typically grow your sales and marketing team together in the right sort of ways. the company scales.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I really like the idea kind of to, to maybe pull out an idea from there. It seems like you sort of get that alignment and that sense of being one team sort of for free when you're small. And it seems almost like what you're saying is as the companies get bigger and more complicated, the role of operations is to preserve that sort of oneness and sort of single team mentality and way of working?
2: 100%. I think if you hire a dedicated events person, we know um, how challenging it is to manage the logistics of setting up and executing a great event. And there's a a core skill set that not a ton of people have. And you're going to hire someone who's optimizing that, but they might not be fully aware of how you take that and you do the pre-marketing or you gather the leads or you get them into nurture tracks or you pass them over to sales to truly build pipeline off of it. And that's okay because the role is to, you know, put together some really, really great events. And I think that's where the marketing ops team working with the sales ops team can help that specific tactic that you're investing in, get closer and pull it back into this concept of one team while allowing those other resources, you might not even ever think of sales other than who's going to staff the booth, you know, to do what they do best. Makes sense. So back to you, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, clearly sales and marketing is, is has always been, I think you and I would believe had to be very close and needs to be close. From your perspective, what is a successful partnership look like back to sales and how should sales view that as well with respect to being good partners to
1: marketing? Sure. I totally agree. I really would echo something you mentioned a bit a little while ago, which is I think what's really helpful is when both parties kind of think of it as a supply chain and that we're all we're manufacturing the same thing on behalf of our, our employer, which is uh, revenue for the business. And so I think kind of starting there with that grounding, I think the foundation of successful partnership is understanding that. And it, that sounds sort of I don't know, routine or boring to say, but it's, it's not always the case. Some sales organizations, they're just in a logo acquisition game. They're not actually trying to make money for their business because that's the way that their accomplishments set up or that's what their leadership is driving. And I would actually say more commonly, the marketing team might think, oh, my job is building brand. And then my question, again, being the revenue and operations person is to what end? We don't sell our brand. We sell stuff. And uh, the brand's supposed to help us sell stuff. Um, but a lot of marketing organizations be like, my job is to build the brand. My job is to have wonderful facilities for our employees to work in. And that's true. That's part of your job. But always you have to ask that follow-up question is to what end? I think once you're there, once you have that, uh, that sort of alignment of what is the end outcome that marketing and sales are trying to get at together, then I think you get into the kind of the fun part of the partnership, which is, of course, a lot of things that you and I do together, which is, yeah, giving each other a hard time about our respective contributions to the supply chain, but getting aligned on kind of to what you shared earlier – Shared earlier, like okay, how are we going to get there? What's the efficient way for our business mutually to get to the revenue outcome we want? Are we staffed correctly? Do we have the right capacity? Can I actually drive the sort of leads that you need in the timeline that you need it? And that's kind of where the the fun and, and in fact, actually, the art I would say of our roles comes in, because there's not a playbook that you can just execute. In my experience, I wish there were, and there's very rarely an obvious answer. Oh, hire ten reps and buy some Facebook ads, and the problem goes away. Like. That has never worked for me. I don't know anyone that's ever worked for it. I don't expect it ever will. So I think that that's kind of that just getting really aligned in how we work and how we kind of forecast and are trying to shape the future is key. My experience working with sales, I think because of that mentality has been good. At times, it's been, frankly, very, very, very bad, though. And I think it always the foundation of where it goes wrong is when there's a misalignment of expectations of what the supply chain is trying to make when there's a misalignment of expectations of the plan that we should have co-developed code but often did not to get there. And then lastly, I do think that sometimes there can be um, a lack of just understanding and education that both jobs are hard. You can both know you're supposed to be making money. You can both agree on a plan, but it's always easy. My, uh, I'll, I'll be a little folksy for a minute. My uncle has this saying he always uses, which is never take out the trash when no one's looking because no one appreciates how hard everyone else's job is if they don't see it or appreciate it or feel it. And so I think that that's just like, you kind of have to have empathy for the party on the other side. Driving leads of quality at any sort of scale is super hard and super expensive and it takes time. Closing leads of any quality at any scale on a timeline and in a predictable way is super hard. And I think when you see, when you start to see the fissures between the departments emerge is when people forget that. I guess a question for you. I talked a little bit about planning. How do you feel about planning? Do you think that the kind of what I share is the right way to do it? Is there a better way to do it? Like and if you could just draw on a whiteboard the perfect planning process for uh, for a sales and marketing organization to go through, what would that look like?
2: Good question. I think it, uh, it has to be together. I only think there's one plan. There has to be a revenue plan, not a sales plan and a marketing plan. Certainly the tactics beneath it, you know, I don't want to sit with you and figure out what your event strategy is, but I want to make sure we're relying on event strategy is going to generate X amount and we're probably gonna spend X amount to do this. I think it has to start from a shared premise of what the objective is, which is to get to our number and generate revenue. I think it then has to start with building it together of how waterfalls back upstream. So at every inflection point, every point that we measure, every definition that we use, every way that our systems are set up to capture those, to make them visible and to do all the handoffs are completely 100% aligned. I think that it should go down into the details if we're given a, a CAC target, for example, of we can spend out whatever we want. I can choose to have less SDRs, for example, if I know that the money that you can use from that is going to go to generating more different sort of leads. So I think it's just one plan, and I think we both need to put it together, meaning sales and marketing, start from the stages of what are we trying to achieve, what boundaries and barriers do we have, and then constructing it in a way that... Maximizes that output and allows us to do to do more than uh, than we could if we did them separately. So one plan, one spreadsheet, one set of metrics, one approval process, but also you know aligned on the incentives against that plan. You and I should, in a sense, be measured against the same thing, so that in theory, anything that we decide to work on and not work on is meeting both. Of our goals, especially on a personal level. So I just think it has to be together. And having, you know, FP&A or some other team facilitate that process of revenue planning, I think is a very good way of doing it. I think that it creates a natural tension of, is this going to be impactful and how are we going to manage this? But if it's not our plan, then we can easily point a finger at each other. And I think that's when you kind of get into the dangerous territory of pointing it at each other instead of the challenge or the problem that we're trying to solve and then both being on the same page of solving that.
1: I wonder, I think it's, uh, it's just a follow-up thought, I suppose. It's like I think we both have been in that situation where either because we planned together and then now things have gone awry or because um, we failed to plan together and we're in that finger-pointing situation. I guess for, like, the listeners who may encounter that, is there a good way, like, to to find your way out of that problem because I think it's inevitable. Every business, a number gets missed, you know, and then no one, we all like to think we're all activists that will take that burden all alone and whatever, but that's just not realistic. Fingers will be pointed. So how do you, you know, having been in that situation, how do you think about dealing with that when that happens?
2: Well, I think you have to start with the premise that, Numbers will be missed, to your point. A plan is predicting the future, and if we can predict the future, um, you know, we might be in Vegas instead of (laughs) out here in a room talking to each other about sales and marketing. So if you start with the mindset and the premise that we're putting together a whole bunch of assumptions and tactics and timing against them of showing how we're going to get to our ultimate objectives and that some months we're going to outperform and some months we're going to underperform and some months it's going to be the complete opposite of what we saw the month before. I think if we start with the premise that is our plan and we have the joint KPIs, and then we both present the joint KPIs back where people on our teams put them together to tell that story, then we're taking out the personalities or the organization. We're literally talking about what's working and what's not working. And from the basis of we know it's probably not going to work perfectly in every number and every assumption that we wrote down with a, we're going to tackle the problem together. And everything, I believe, in the revenue cycle, you can probably attribute it some to marketing and the quality of leads, but also some to sales execution. I always think that that is true if you step back and take a real hard, critical, reality-based view of the world of dropping leads, working on the different ones, systems not working, of, you know, enablement so that we can drive more consistency or you know, better top of the funnel tactics so that we actually get the folks in and nurture them in the appropriate way to what we need on the other end. So I think the truth always lies in both sales and marketing. And then I think if you have that culture and that governance and that relationship that drives you working together to solve problems, you avoid the finger pointing. I think the finger pointing happens maybe when it's not the two of us involved. It could be a CEO or it could be a CO or it could be a CFO who's literally going in there and wanting to knock heads and assign blame. And I think if that happens, it puts us in a tough spot. Um, but I think that if we truly are partners in this, um, we'll figure out a way around that and get back to the business of, of accelerating our growth. Mm-hmm.
0: The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode.
2: What are the things that you think marketing teams also need to work on? If we're working on our tactics, uh, the way we talk to people, the systems and the tools we use to make us more efficient, what are those things that that marketing is currently doing to try to, I guess, stay more relevant in this new world that we all live in?
1: Yeah, I think... It's this funny process, that I would say, like, somehow back to basics and reinvention happening kind of constantly right next to each other. Mm-hmm. So what I would say is it's like one of the, the expressions I use a lot of times is like B2B marketing, which is my specialty, but I would even you could even broaden the say marketing. B2B marketing is boring, like in the sense that for any given campaign that we're ever going to run, I could probably seven months prior to it ever happening, jot down every single channel that we're going to use. There'll probably be an event. There'll probably be some ads. Those ads will probably run in a certain number of places. There'll probably be some emails as we send. They'll probably go out over a pretty well-established period of time with a pretty standard cadence. They'll probably have similar CTAs. Like All that stuff is not where the innovation of marketing lies, generally, in my experience. I think where the really interesting stuff happens is when you start to mix those in different orders, in different sequences, and in different ways to reach different audiences and get different outcomes. And so like one of the things, a simple example would be, if I'm trying to get to a CEO, I know that CEOs often have administrative assistance. So I now have two people I have to influence, the admin and the CEO. And so my toolkit is that boring toolkit I just shared, but I can now apply it to two different people and hopefully cause them to interact in a way that's favorable to me and my rep who's going to be doing the outreach send a gift to the admin, and then two weeks later, send her a package address to CEO referencing the gift and have follow-up calls in between or whatever. All that was is phone calls and packages. However, they get the outcome that we're trying to get at. Uh, meanwhile, I'm trying to affect a director at a small company. They don't have a listed number or a desk phone. So that phone part of the package is out, but they also don't have an admin. So all of a sudden, a drive by uh, swing through at the office and dropping something off. I might get walked right up to that person's desk and get to hand them the gift. And we can program that whole experience too. Again, it's not anything, we didn't invent a whole new way of marketing or reaching people, but we're applying it in the right way to the right person.
2: One of the areas I think of tension potentially that exists between sales and marketing teams is a high percentage of the compensation of sales reps and even managers is leverage. And it's tied to an end result, closing a deal, generating revenue. And it's not always the case for marketing. And I think that Puts a little more maybe urgency or real time, faster urgency on a sales team to have the need to get the leads that they need to get the right type of quality of leads that they need. I don't think that we're ever going to have marketing on a similar sort of leveraged sales plan, but I do think that marketing can have some incentives and ones in a comp plan. And that impact their variable that do align to what needs to be delivered to sales and what that whole revenue chain needs to deliver. What are your thoughts on what some incentives and good formats or methodologies for incentives, uh, especially for the teams that you run and manage, have been effective?
1: So I think I'm totally agreed that the outcome we're trying to get at is uh, a marketing organization that is focused on driving revenue for the business. And in doing that, I think it can, it'll set them up to, to feed the sales organization in the right way. I think what can be really hard about this is that the immediate answer that you would think when you ask that question is, okay, we'll put them on a performance plan tied to revenue or the closest metric they can affect to revenue, which is probably lead gen. What's hard about that is marketing is kind of like a zoo with all different animals in it and all those different animals are have different attributes. So the content team has such a different form of contribution to the pipeline than the email team, than the operations team, than the you know whatever, you know pick, pick your poison. So it gets really challenging at times I find to come up with a fair plan to generically apply to all of marketing. So I think at that point I would actually fall back on two things. One is everyone in my opinion should have some degree of variable compensation. And it should be either tied to one of two things, either to the closest metric they can affect that drives revenue or just company attainment overall, which, and then of course in in tech businesses, they'll also have some equity, which is effectively tied to company attainment overall. The other thing though, that I think in a lot of cases actually trumps that is culture. I think that you can have marketing departments that are revenue oriented in their culture, and you can have marketing departments that are not revenue oriented in their culture. And I think as a leader, regardless of incentive plan, It's your responsibility, if that's the kind of organization you want, is to set expectations for the team that it doesn't matter that you shipped a new website if we missed our number. It doesn't matter that we did 30 webinars if we missed our number. Now, maybe those have some long-term benefits that we can't fully compute at the moment. But the the fact is, if the business is failing, marketing is not succeeding. And I think that's a cultural thing that you need to set first and then align incentive comp appropriately thereafter. But you still have to keep in mind they have to be fair. It's hard for a designer to affect revenue the way a salesperson can. And if you just apply kind of a a blanket comp plan tied to revenue, sometimes you put folks that don't have a lot of control in very difficult positions because they feel helpless. And that's a really bad outcome because they're like, I made less money this month, but what would you, I've had this conversation, they come to me and they say, what should I have done differently to change that number?
2: Yeah, I think people that are directly or marketing teams for generating pipeline, responsible for generating leads, Um, are the ones that you can most closely align those metrics. And I think even a shared point of view of SQL or a pipeline that SDR teams are compensated against in applying that same exact thing with the same definition, the same measures, Less leverage, obviously, to the marketing team that's responsible for demand generation I always found to be effective. You're right. I even question whether uh, parts of the operations team should be on variable comp time to sales delivery or not. The further you get away from it, having to connect more dots, the harder it is to do that. But I think there are areas of opportunity to align and very specifically align the incentives across both of those teams. Mm -hmm. Should sales care? I know I will. But in general, should we care how we are getting the leads? Or should we kind of leave it to you to get the right set of leads at the right persona, the right level of buying intent, and let you figure out the rest? Do we care and should we care?
1: It's a great question, actually, as I think about this. I mean, I suppose if I was good enough at my job, it's possible you wouldn't have to care. However, I don't think I'm that good. I don't think any marketer is that good. And I think the truth is that for me to be effective, you need to care. Because you need to be able to look at what is going on and tell me, you did what? Why? How? Are you insane? Or wow, this is really working. Oh my goodness. I'm following up on these things that you put in market. And I've been cold calling for six months and it feels like, you know, the skies have parted and, and it's a sunny day for the first time. And I'm getting some traction and building pipeline. And yeah, eventually if your systems are set up right, you see that stuff in your CRM, you see that stuff in the pipeline reports. But the earliest indicator is happy salespeople. Like the canary in the coal mine is a bunch of SDRs that are making money. Or, uh, a bun- uh, you know, in the case of a product-oriented business, you know, a bunch of trials that have just gotten, come, through, come through the pipeline. And that stuff is going to be visible so long before your company ever actually makes money. And you need to be tied to sales to understand, get the flavor of what's going on. And then I would also say that most of the best, kind of you mentioned earlier, most of the best sales reps I've ever worked with are kind of secretly marketers. They're testing different headlines for their emails. They're playing with different calls to actions. They're sending out, I mean, I used to know one guy, great salesperson, he used to send out his own direct mail campaigns. And I came to him one day, I said, I have an intern here, I have budget. Let me send this for you. I won't even change anything. I'll just lick the envelopes and put the stamps on. He said, no, this is my process. I like to touch the marketing. I like to know what my people got in the mail. I like to know what they're interacting with. And I think that that's those are great attributes. And you can learn the most as a marketer from the people doing the work, as long as they take an interest in what you do.
2: Yeah, I I agree with you there. Um, You asked me the question earlier about sales folks, and I think that was part of my data-driven intellectual wanting to learn. I think ones that understand how things come into their pipeline and are able to work on honing the tactics along with their partners are the best. I love the sales reps that come up to the marketing floor and say, hey, I see you're doing this event or this webcast. How can I help? How can I get involved? Yeah, totally. Hey, Brian, one question for you. I know that we want to be great partners, right? But let's just say that sales is feeling that they're not getting the level of leads, either the volume or the quality that they need in order to hit their numbers and their conversion rates are holding, their ASPs are holding, et cetera, et cetera. To avoid what we talked about before of the pointing the finger and the potentially screaming at each other, if this was brought to you, what are the things that when you hear that or you see that, do you typically go down? maybe not completely in a checklist form, but what are those areas that you start to look at to try to dissect and understand what may be going on and most importantly, take some action?
1: So I think the first thing I would do is I would look at sort of what is the, you basically, what you want to always do is you want to you want to go to where the volume is. And in different kinds of marketing jobs I've had, in different kinds of business I've had, that means something different. So like at Intercom, because we have a product that you can run a credit card for and buy, and such a a large percentage of our sales motion is derived from that, the the thing that you can do is you can affect the web experience and what happens on the web, and you want to go investigate. Has something changed there to detriment, or could we make a change to improve? That's where the volume is. That's where small change can make the biggest difference. In other scenarios I've been in, it's been about the database. We know if we send an email with a certain incentive later in the quarter, and then in other situations I've been in, it's been about SDR partnership. It just really varies because it's where where is the volume coming from? That's always the first place I look. Unfortunately, there's not always an obvious answer sitting where the volume is. And that's where people start getting into this idea of growth hacks and this and that. And, you know, I say this all the time. I don't really believe in growth hacks. I think generally what that means is you're sacrificing some long-term good for some short-term benefit. And that's rarely the right thing to do. Yeah. But I do think what you can start to do is you can basically start to look for, if there's no obvious change you can make, where the volume is, now I start to look at sort of my secondary and tertiary channels for things that are sort of just have not been optimized, especially in a growing business or in a large business that's been around for a while. What happens is you have all these initiatives that have begun, all these things that were good enough, and you never really kind of squeezed all the benefit to the business out of them that you could have or should have. I mean, we were in this situation recently, even here at Intercom, where there was a channel I was overseeing and we'd implemented it and it was starting to perform and we kind of stopped paying attention to it. couple months go by and I'm looking at sort of our portfolio and trying to think how how are we going to get to the next spot and it dawns on me you know we never actually went through step by step through that whole flow and made sure that it was right just we never had time we never bothered and if we just go back and we just fix those things we get it's almost like free money you've done all the hard work of implementing a process or a channel and what you haven't done is the really hard work of seeing it through in like a very detail oriented way to get the benefit you want so that's I guess like in a nutshell First, I go to the volume, look for something broken or something easy to fix or imp- implement. And then I go looking for channels that have high potential but haven't been fully implemented properly. Mm-hmm. And usually, there's enough opportunity in those two areas that you can get to your outcome pretty fast. Um, what about for you? If, uh, if I'm—every indicator I've got, and there's no data issues at all, you know, every indicator I've got says marketing's doing their job, and yet— We're not hitting our numbers, and it looks like something's going wrong in the sales funnel. How do you think about diagnosing it, and where do you look to go fix it?
2: Yeah, if I knew you were going to ask that back, I might not have asked it in the first place. (laughs) Um, But good question. I I think a little bit, and we talked about partnering and tension. The tension that exists is in sales, we're very action-oriented. So I think to answer your question is, on a daily basis, if we're a good modern data-driven analytical sales team are constantly looking at dashboards and trends and metrics and staying on top of, say, conversions or first response time or the things that you might want to measure in terms of uh, pipeline flow and what's happening. Um, We also spend a lot of time looking at the individual performance differences between, you know, great reps and ones that are struggling, between offices, between sales managers, between geographies. I think that because there's so much data about that in Salesforce, it's hard for us to sometimes hide behind poor execution. I think that we go back and look at the same things that you would. We're going to look to see, are we converting at the same rate? We're going to go look and see what's the basket of leads that we're getting in. We're going to go look to see if people have left the business or if we're for ramping up a whole bunch of new reps. We're going to go take a look at their specific execution and probably get on the sales managers to over rotate for a little time of digging into that. Are they doing the things that we want them to do? Are they following the playbooks? Are they on top of first response time and the other metrics and the quality of their interactions? Uh, where we want it to be. So that's one area. We also look at process change. A lot of times things get put into the process or the workflow that we aren't necessarily aware of or more, I, I guess, directly not aware of the potential downside of the complexity or the impact or the inefficiencies it may put in there. We might have had someone from marketing do a big event that was mostly about building brand and loaded up a thousand new leads and you know told us SDRs that they have to kind of go in and work those for this whole week. And that alone may explain some of the leads not flowing into that pipeline. So I think that's where it comes back to alignment between our two groups of making sure we're focusing on the right things. If we see the metrics that are off or trending the wrong way, we have a responsibility to raise them and to dig in and understand what's driving them and correct them, which could be enablement and training, which could be making some tough personnel decisions, which could be people like me or a CRO jumping in and personally getting involved for a little while in deal inspection and pipeline reviews and forecasting to make sure that we get, you know, the rules of engagement or just the importance of managing the things, the gold if you want to call it that, the leads that come in in the right sort of way. So I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's, uh, are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? Has there been a change of process that's impacting this? Do we have a shift in the mix of the people that we have and we have to think about enabling or ramping or re-educating? Do we have something that we can fix from technology? And if all of that isn't there, you and I are probably spending a lot of time thinking on the bigger picture of maybe what's changed, which could be external competitors, market shifts, the flaw and maybe the assumptions we used for what segment we're targeting as well. So I think it's it's relevant for both of us and important for both of us to constantly be on top of our metrics. I shouldn't have to tell you that leads aren't getting to where we need them to be. And you shouldn't have to tell me that our conversions are kind of trending in the wrong direction. And I think once again, if we, you know, maybe end this discussion on we're one team, one plan, one set of metrics, one set of dashboards, constantly reviewing them together, that those things, you know, are made visible and come to light far before we get into the point when we're screaming and yelling at each other to, to fix these things. And I think that when it works like that, you know, great results come from it.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree completely.
2: Thank you, Brian. This has been fun.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Had a great time. <laughs>
0: You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.